Welcome to LifePoint today. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're here for the first time, I just want to say welcome. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. I would love to meet you after the service. Please come down front and say hello when we wrap up in just a little bit. All right, you got to be honest now because we're in church. How many people in here are binge watchers? Tell the truth. Come on. If you don't know what that is, just ask somebody that has their hand up. They will tell you what binge watching is. I think binge watching is at such an epidemic level is because we can customize our television experience however we want to do it. We don't have to pay attention to this thing that used to be called the TV guide. We can just watch whenever we want on whatever device we want to watch because it's perfectly customizable. I tell my girls, hey, when I was a kid, if we missed the peanut special, you had to wait 12 months to watch that thing again. You couldn't just like go call it up on something and watch it again. For you younger people, that's really hard for you to imagine that you would have to wait for something to come back on. But in our ever customizable world, having everything at our disposal the way we want it, when we want it, on my phone, the icons are arranged as I see fit. You may look at my phone like my wife does or my girls do sometimes and think this makes absolutely no sense. It does not have to make sense to them. It makes sense to me because it's 100% customizable. I even have a remote for my car that when I click the door to unlock it on the remote, if Cinda or the girls have driven it, it goes back to my rear end size and my leg size. I mean, the seat goes right back to where it's supposed to be. The mirrors adjust. And I mean, my car is like 12 years old and it still has that. It's customizable. Our culture is really customizable. You can have things when you want it, how you want it, on your terms. We're going to look at a section of scripture today where people were trying to customize Jesus to the way they wanted him to be. They were trying to make the Jesus they wanted. They were trying to create the Jesus they had hoped for. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, raise your hand. You can have one. It's yours to keep. You can also borrow it. You can also just read along on the screen as I read a couple sections from God's Word. See, our nature is to want the world to fit us rather than us adjusting to fit anything else around us. And that, by nature, makes us very selfish beings. We're going to pick up the story of Jesus in the New Testament, in the book of John, where it's the day before Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem, what the church now calls Palm Sunday. They didn't call it Palm Sunday then. It was just another day. But the day before that, Jesus was in this little town outside of Jerusalem, and he was starting to gather followers. People were starting to hang out with him, and no wonder If you knew someone raised someone from the dead and said, hey, come hang out with me, I I would go. Would you go? I mean, because I'm going to die someday. And if somebody could say, get up, and I get up, I'm going to want to be around that person when I breathe my last breath. And so people saw Jesus do that. They saw Jesus performing miracles, and so they started to follow him. And we're going to pick up this story in the New Testament book of John, one of the four accounts of this special day in the life of Jesus. It's also recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we're going to pick it up where tensions are starting to rise. People are starting to 
to look at Jesus differently and to try to comprehend who he is and, and hope he might be one way or another way. In John chapter 12, beginning at verse 9, it says this. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus raised from the dead. Anybody would do that. If somebody said, I raised this guy from the dead, I would say, well, let me see him. So that's what they're doing. Then the leading priests, these are Jewish priests, decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. So what this is saying is Jesus was on the religious leader's turf and they didn't like it. And because Jesus brought Lazarus back from the grave and more people started following, they didn't like that either. So they said, let's just kill them both. Let's just go ahead and off Lazarus while we're trying to kill Jesus. And so they started to scheme. And this is the day before Jesus enters into Jerusalem where he would eventually be falsely accused, arrested, and murdered. And even the day before, a couple of different crowds started to emerge. Those who were with Jesus, hoping one thing, and those were, who were opposed to Jesus, trying to figure out how can we stop this man Jesus and all of his followers from taking more of our territory when it comes to our religious leadership. They were really intimidated. And so the very next verse talks about what happens the next day. It says, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, the setting is that this would have been like Times Square on New Year's Eve, like lots of people just crammed in one place, celebrating the Passover celebration, the Passover feast. The Passover dated all the way back, well, centuries for, before the time of Christ, when God's people, the Israelites, were in Egyptian slavery. God sent the leader Moses to call them out of slavery and to ask Pharaoh to let God's people go, and he wouldn't do it. He kept asking, Pharaoh kept saying no. And so God began to send plagues upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians because of their disobedience and their treatment of God's people. And one of the plagues was called the plague of the death of the firstborn, which meant that the firstborn of every household would die if he didn't let God's people go. Well, the night for that plague came, and Moses instructed the people, when you make your sacrifice to God, which would have been an animal sacrifice, take the blood from that animal, put it over your door, and when the angel of death comes through Egypt, it will pass over you and know that you are marked as a follower of God, as one of his chosen people. And so that was something to celebrate. So every generation would tell the story. The angel of death passed us over and we were delivered. And so that became this huge festival. And here they are, many, many, many generations later, celebrating this. And this is the celebration in which Jesus comes up on the scene to show up in Jerusalem. And just to make sure that they understood that he was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, Jesus actually quotes and fulfills a prophecy that was given generations before him 
that's told in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 9, where it says, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. And so they're just saying, praise him. Some translations say, Hosanna, which means save us. And they see Jesus coming, and they're seeing that he's going to be their king. And they start to lay down these palm branches. And the palm branches were just for them a sign of victory. It was a sign of winning. It was a sign that you were on top. It was a sign of honor. It was a sign of royalty. And so they were laying down these palm branches, and he was coming in, being ushered into Jerusalem to all these people yelling that he was king and that he was victorious. So there's a couple different groups of people still watching Jesus. There's still the people who were hoping he was going to be king, and then there's the people that were opposed to Jesus doing anything. So the the first group, their expectation was that Jesus would become the king of Israel, that he would set up an earthly kingdom. And they figured, well, I'm going to get with Jesus because he's my ticket. He's my personal ticket to get out of this Roman oppression. And so in their minds, they're following Jesus who had performed miracles, taught in new authoritative ways, and done amazing things in God's name. But the reason they're following him is because they think he's going to set up a kingdom and I'm going to be with the guy who wins this time. We're going to be in charge of the Romans. They're no longer going to be in charge of us. And so they're looking at Jesus as this personal figure for each of them that's going to get them what they want. I mean, when Jesus performed miracles, more people followed. He rose people, this this guy from the dead, more people followed. He healed, more people followed. But while his miracles were few, people continued to follow him and follow him. And actually, at times, Jesus would look around and see the crowds and say, let me tell you who I really am. Let me tell you what it really means to follow me. And every time he would say that, a number of people would say, well, I'm not in for that. I'm just in for the miracles. I'm just here for the ice cream. You know, I don't want anything else. I, don't want, I just want to hear the good stuff. I want to see the good stuff. And when you become king, I want to make sure I'm near you because we're going to give those Romans what they've got coming to them and we're going to be in charge now. To them, Jesus was just a ticket to control, a ticket to be on top, a ticket to winning. To be involved in Jesus' kingdom in their minds was to be a part of this kingdom that was going to be set up with him as king ruling over the world, and they thought, well, we've got a front row seat. So, Hosanna, King, praise him, love him, worship him, let's yell for him. The only problem was a little bit later in the week, when Jesus, after he'd been arrested, when he was before Pilate, Pilate, who had control to either let Jesus go or crucify him, he also asked Jesus, hey, are you a king? And here's how Jesus answered. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. By saying, my kingdom is not of this world, he's saying, you cannot customize me to be what you want me to be. You cannot turn a dial or bring something up and all of a sudden I'm the Jesus that you want me to be. 
And they're thinking he's going to be the Jesus we want so we can be in control. And the more they found out, that this large crowd of people found out, he's not going to set up a kingdom. He's not going to help us socket to the Romans. He's not going to do that. There's shouts of praise. The same crowd turns turn to shouts of crucify him, crucify him. So the crowd turned as soon as they found out, well, we can't make Jesus into who we want, so we'll just get rid of him and start over. He's not relevant to our goals, and so we're just not going to have any part of him. So for them, Jesus was just a ticket to them being in charge. Their, their personal Jesus just customized in a way that got them everything that they wanted. And the whole time the leaders were standing back, the religious leaders of the day, and they didn't see Jesus as king. They didn't want to see him as king, any kind of king, whether on earth or a spiritual kingdom. They didn't want any of that because Jesus was a roadblock to everything they wanted to do. See, the religious leaders of the day, when they saw Jesus come into Jerusalem, they got worried. They saw more and more people traveling to be with Jesus and to get to know Jesus and to hear what he had to say. And they got so frustrated at one point, they said this in chapter 12 of John, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere, the threats to kill him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. See, these Pharisees, this religious group of people, kind of like a religious party, they they had decided that they were the ones in charge. They had decided that they had exclusive rights to God and his word. And so they used God and his word to make commands about commands so people would never feel quite good enough to come before God. That they never would feel quite like they're okay. And if you've ever been stuck in a religious system or a church that makes you feel like, well, I can't ever measure up, I can't ever do enough, I can't ever be enough, that's not a church run by the people of God. Because that's what these people were trying to do. These religious leaders were trying to get people or, or to prevent people from feeling like they were okay with God. And they were trying to keep people oppressed and keep them down. And so when they saw their religious authority being questioned and people gravitating more towards Jesus' message of love and grace and forgiveness, they got upset. And they set about to say, how can we get rid of this guy? For them, Jesus was a huge roadblock to what they wanted to do and the way they wanted to live. See, they were hoping that a Messiah would come and he would fit them, and he didn't. You have one huge group of people wanting Jesus to be this king, customized to fit their needs and their desires. And then you had this other group of religious people that, that Jesus kept them from having all the authority with God's word that they wanted to have. And it created anger and jealousy. And in the middle of all that anger and jealousy and confusion, they totally missed that the king of kings was coming into town. They totally missed what was available to all of them. Fast forward 2,000 years. In all of my years of doing what I do, I've seen people totally miss it. And they choose to follow Jesus, but it's, it's not always the Jesus that you read about when you open up the Bible and you see Jesus teaching very difficult things sometimes. Hard things to listen to, hard things to obey. 
Hard things to digest emotionally and mentally. But people still will sign up to follow Jesus. Just sometimes I wonder if it's the real Jesus. In our very self-driven, everything starts with an I or my or me. In our self-driven culture, is it possible to find this real Jesus that wants to be king of our hearts? Because I see people looking for a personal Jesus. And there is, when you, when you read the Bible, there, there, there is truth to saying that you personally make a decision that you are going to follow Christ and that you are going to be part of his kingdom. That's a very personal decision. But Jesus is not a, it never talks about Jesus being this personal savior. It never talks about you creating Jesus into this personal Jesus just for you that's programmable just to fit you. And I've seen people follow a lot of different types of Jesuses. I wrote a few down this week. I've seen people follow the Oprah Jesus. I'm not cutting on Oprah. She does a lot of good things, so don't email me. But Oprah, here's Oprah Jesus, all right? O- Oprah Jesus is the Jesus that says, just follow your heart. Just, just go deep down inside, and there's something down inside of you that's going to guide you to what's true. That's a lie. Those of you that have lived long enough know you will get into big trouble following your heart. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I bet a lot of hands would go up if I said, how many of you have followed your heart in something you believed was the right thing to do, and all of a sudden you realized, I listened to the wrong voice. That wasn't my heart. Have you ever thought you were in love only to find out later, like what you ate the night before maybe? How's following your heart going? The worst advice, parents, you could give your kids is to say, honey, you just follow your heart. You just follow. My heart has led me to some really dark places. Not to mention that God himself says, above all else, you know what's deceitful? The heart of man and woman. Our hearts are deceitful. So it can't just be, okay, Jesus, you just want me to follow my heart. That's what you want me to do. Then there's buddy Jesus. Buddy Jesus is the Jesus that shoots pool with you, has a beer, you know, gives you a high five, slaps you on the back and just said, you're awesome, man. I love hanging out with you. That's buddy Jesus. The the one that would never say, you need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to change your life. You need to clean up that mouth. You need to change what you're doing. Your buddies wouldn't tell you that. Your buddies are just, hey, we're here to have fun because they're your buddies. That's what they're there for. And then there's uh, genie Jesus. That's the one I hear a lot of pastors talking about. The Jesus that if you just... Uh, write a check for the right amount or do the right amount of things and God's got these blessings. They're all damned up somewhere and when you do that, it's gonna break loose. And when you write that check big enough, it's gonna break the dam and your life is gonna be full of blessing. It's like rubbing the genie's lamp. You rub it just right and he's gonna give you everything your heart could possibly desire, the money, the relationships, all the stuff. None of those are who Jesus came to be. None of those are the Jesus that rode into Jerusalem that day on a donkey. Now those can get a lot of people to follow. Those can get a lot of crowds. But the real Jesus says things like, hey, sell your stuff. The real Jesus can say things like, 
If you want to be first, you need to be last. You need to serve each other. The real Jesus, with all of the love and compassion and grace and forgiveness, looks at us and says, stop doing what you're doing and change because I have a better life for you. And for people who search for those other versions of Jesus that fit them, when they get there and find out that's not Jesus at all, then the real Jesus becomes a roadblock, just like he did to the religious leaders. There was a young man who came up to Jesus one day during his ministry and said, Jesus, what do I need to do? You're a good teacher, I see that, but what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, we need to obey. And he goes, oh, I got that under control. But Jesus being Jesus can see right through him and right through us. And Jesus realizes this young man has something between following me and himself. And it was his stuff, his money. It might be something different for you. And so when Jesus saw that and, and saw that, well, he's a good guy. He does good things, but he's got this stuff in his life that he's going to have to get rid of if he really wants to be a follower of me. And here's how Jesus says it. If you want to be perfect or complete... Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus was trying to say, stop loving this temporary stuff and come follow me, because that's what's really holding you back. And the story goes on to say he went away sad. And Jesus' the disciples were saying, well, if, if that, guy, that good guy can't go, then, then how can anybody go? And, and that's when Jesus said, oh, with man it's impossible, because you can't be good enough. You can't do enough. But with God, everything is possible. See, Jesus was a roadblock for him because he wanted to earn his way in and do it himself and create Jesus into what he wanted him to be. He just wanted Jesus to be that genie that said, okay, poof, you're in because you're a good guy. When we try to make Jesus into who we want him to be, he quickly becomes a roadblock. But there were people that day who saw people dif- Jesus differently. There were people throughout the ministry of Jesus that they weren't trying to shape him into something else. They're not trying to get rid of him because he threatens their religious authority. But you can read the life of Jesus and see person after person who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. That he was the only one that could rescue them and save them. And most of the time, the people who believed in Jesus and him being the Messiah were either, either children, you know, the innocence of a child, Jesus said, become like a child, or the people that were so down and the world had beaten up so bad and had made so many mistakes, they had nowhere else to turn. And they see Jesus and they see him for all that he is. And they accept him. A woman who was caught in the act of adultery saw Jesus as the Messiah. Another woman who had messed up her life because of bad relationship after bad relationship saw Jesus for who he was and believed in him as the Messiah. The blind, the lame, the sick, those who could cling to nothing else would see Jesus and take him at his word for who he was. See, that's what the Messiah does for all of us. Whether you're living ashamed, whether you're living with a past that feels like a weight on your shoulders, he says, I can free you from all that. 
In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was quoting another Old Testament passage, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Some people see Jesus as their deliverer, as their forgiver. And there's some of you today, I'm sure, in a room this size, that that's what you need to see. That the step you need to take is out of whatever perceptions you might have of Him and step into the reality that He is the one who can save you on His terms when you just say, I cannot do this anymore. I I cannot live my life like this anymore. I need direction from outside of me. When that happens, that's when the real Jesus, the Messiah, comes into our life and takes us at our lowest moment and changes us. I want you to see a story about a young lady at our church who was at one of those low moments, very difficult time in her life, and how she saw Jesus. Take a look. I was never connected to a church. Um, I never grew up around a church. All all of our families around us were really sweet people, but like the church that they went to were very formal, and my family at, at that point wasn't the most functional family. I didn't have a very good connection with my parents. I was not hanging out with the best group of people. I was not, I shouldn't be out past midnight doing the things I was doing. I was ready to meet a new group. I was ready to start feeling better. I wasn't feeling good about myself or the connections I had at home. So I was like, maybe meeting people at church or like just a different environment will be good for me. And it was almost like I had a calling, like, hey, you need to go. I'm gonna push you to go out of the country with people that you don't know because you need to be taken out and to feel loved. I don't get scared easily, but when I met all these kids, I was like, wow, their families are super nice and like they're all very like put together and you know, I'm coming from a family that isn't functional at the moment. And I was like, maybe they're gonna judge me or like not gonna take me into this group because they're already like completely on board with the whole Christian thing and I haven't even started yet. When we were in the Dominican, one of the girls was baptized while we were there, and it was like cool to watch and like see all, you know, how she felt and all these happy tears and those same emotions that I wanted to feel like. I was like, I know I'm gonna get there one day, I'm just not ready, just not today. And so when I came back from the Dominican, I was still doing all my work and still continuing all the things that I had learned in the Dominican while I was here. And now I'm like, wow, I feel like Jordan, I'm ready. Like. She knew when she was ready, and now I know that I'm ready. I can definitely promise, like, if, if you're feeling upset constantly or you feel down or I'm constantly making mistakes, I can't make anybody feel good, I can't have a connection with somebody, you will feel better once you have this connection with God, I promise. I grew up with a family with alcoholism and It was dysfunctional, I would never be able to tell that, but I feel good enough to be like, hey, God's not judging me. He's gonna be there for the rest of my life, and even after my life is gone, I'm still gonna have that connection with somebody. 
<laughs> Feels pretty good. <laughs> heard 
this words to the song, it made you think, I've got to take a step. And that's what our prayer is. That's what I prayed for all of you as we got ready for today. God, I, I pray that the people here today who need to take a step will have the unmistakable urge to do so. And for you, the step might be taking that first step across the line and believing in Jesus and saying, this is God's desire for my life. Maybe that's you. Maybe for you, the step is what Annie's going to do next week, and that's following Christ in baptism. If you're ready for either one of those decisions, please either mark it on that card that's in your program or come down front after the service and talk to me or one of the other pastors, and we'll guide you through that decision. And for everybody else who's maybe been approaching Jesus on your terms, as we spend the next few minutes worshiping together, singing a couple more songs together, let that be your moment where you start to accept Jesus on his terms instead of trying to customize him the way we do the rest of our world. Just accept Jesus for who he is because he is your Messiah. Let's pray. God, we come before you and are in awe of the way that you change lives, the way your spirit is so much evident in Annie's life and story. And God, I pray for the people who are ready to take that step that she took. I pray you give them the courage to do so. And God, for the people who need to follow you in baptism next week or today or find out more of what that means, I pray you give them the courage to take that step. God, for the rest of us that try to customize you to our life rather than changing our life to your will. God, give us strength. Help us to follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name.